Welcome back to the Kyra London Podcast. It's Craig McLean here again. And this week, uh, I'm branching away from chiropractors or chiropractic-related businesses, and we're moving into the third phase of what I'd like to cover with this podcast, uh, which is really meeting some chiropractic advocates. And this week, we have Luke Theophilus. Now, I really was drawn to Luke's story because he graduated as a nurse pretty much smack bang at the start of COVID, and he had his entire cardiac and thoracic and respiratory ward turn into a COVID ICU unit with respirators and all sorts of madness going on. And I really wanted to sort of get some insight into what it was like for for him, having gone through this, I saw some of the stuff that he put up on social media and, you know, just wearing the PPE like they were for like 12 hour shifts. It was unbelievable. And he shares a lot of information about what he went through, uh, you know, and which is especially bizarre as a, as a brand new nursing graduate. But, you know, his one stable throughout this whole thing was the fact that he started Cairo Care two years ago at Putney Chiropractic. And even though he went through ups and downs with his fitness, running, rowing, um, just after the COVID thing died down a little bit, he randomly ended up being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So he's got quite an interesting story to tell. Sit back, have a little listen to see what he's got to say. And just by the way, I hope you're liking this music we're playing here. Uh, that is courtesy of Lockie McLean, my 13-year-old, who decided to create a little loop for the podcast on GarageBand. So thanks, Lockie. hope you're enjoying a little bit of music as we do this these days. So without further ado, over to Luke and my conversation. Welcome, Luke. Thank you very much. Um, Theophilus. Yes to the Cairo London podcast. Um, I Just to give you, we were just talking about a little bit of background as how this whole thing kicked off. And it kicked off with me, yes, interviewing 15 chiropractors, trying to get to know them a fair bit better, right? Um, and that was my little lockdown project of just trying to get to know my entire team way better, right? And then uh, there's been a few little bonus editions of this thing where I've interviewed anyone from a... Uh, yoga instructor or owner of the local yoga studio, Pilates, uh, the guy that helps us out with marketing, my accountant I got on here. Um, and there was all sorts of like, so it was almost like there was chiropractors, there was kind of associated people with either our community or chiropractic, sort of accessories to chiropractic and guys that I've used. And now you are the first of the new wave, uh, which I wasn't sure what we're going to call you, um, but um, the term ambassador gets thrown around, the term, um, uh, you know, influencer. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um, character, chiropractic character, uh, advocate, um, what, you know, um, uh, but for the listeners sort or ambassador advocate of sort of promoting chiropractic sort of wellness but, but that's the third almost like the third and sort of just section taking care of yourself yeah now now but the, the, the third, third section is kind of not directly linked to the to to like the the, the business as such um but you've got a very important story. You know, uh, I don't know you very well at all. In fact, this is kind of the first time we've officially met. Um, uh, I've been a few times before. Well, in the cafe, briefly, but, you know, but yeah, passed. passing in passing. But um, you have a really interesting story, which is very much relevant to this year as well. So you know, we try not to talk too much about COVID and all that sort of stuff anyway. But um, without faffing around, um, tell us the story of who, you, like, what you're doing. Um, uh, how you got into nursing and um, just that whole kind of journey that you've been on uh, this year where I believe you graduated fairly recently. In October last year <laughs> and started my current job, so my first nursing job, newly qualified, on the 6th of January. And I think it was middle of, like, middle of March we went into lockdown. 
And you are in respiratory ward. So I'm in a cardiac and respiratory specialist hospital. Right. Uh, so look, go back, just back into that a little bit with regards to um, what, what were you doing before nursing? Because uh, I'm not sure if I know. Um, I've and, been through and, many things. And then how did you kind of find your way to that? And then you're obviously thrown straight in the deep end with a cardiac, cardiac respiratory sort of situation. COVID's kind of floating mm. around. There we go. So started off many years ago, uh, school, very dyslexic. Um, and in the days before computers, Google, and you can sort of look up information at the sort of tip of your fingertips, it was very hard for dyslexics. You had to go to libraries, you had to read the information, which was then the worst thing that you could, you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you didn't end up doing very well on my A-levels. Um, so you didn't go to university, and that sort of scuppered that side of it because um, I've always wanted to work in medicine around nursing, okay. sort of in the medical field. And then ended up going, running restaurants, working restaurants, working abroad as a chef, um, doing a few ski seasons, working down in South France in the summer, um, and then came back to London, was running restaurants, um, ended up my back went, and they found out I had rheumatoid arthritis in my lower spine, spent about a year on crutches, because they also found out from loads of sport when I was younger, I had damage to my lower spine as well. So the combination of the two of those, the treatment for the arthritis was exercise, the treatment for the damage was rest. So you put them all together and you still get stuck in this limbo. Um, And then they found a trial drug for me to go on um, at Chelsea and Westminster, which is specific for anglosium spondylitis. And within about two months, I was back up and running around and haven't looked back since. I was back, back in training. So that, that's also something I, I wasn't aware of, even though, because I know I was on the phone to Luke Brady yesterday, and he says, hi, by the way. And um, good. How's he doing? He's great. He's up in Edinburgh. Um, loving Scotland. Loving Scotland. Um, he was kind of like a bit weirded out by, you know, I think life outside of London initially, mm. but I think he's embracing it now and riding his bikes through the sort of the flatlands of Edinburgh or he's avoiding the hills um, well yeah the coastal routes and all that sort of stuff but you know as the season's changing yeah. I think it's a, but no he he was sort of uh, I told him that I was going to have a chat to you today and he's like uh, remembers fondly that you're obviously one of his regulars through the year was he your first he was my first current yeah yeah he was fantastic uh, and so what, what? So that was around that time after you'd just been through that whole journey of working out that you had AS of the spine. So that was in 2005, actually. Yeah. So that was quite a while ago. Okay. Um, and then how, how long ago did you actually find your way into Putney Cairo then? Do you reckon? Probably 18 months, maybe two years ago. Okay. So, oh, so I, it was fairly yeah, soon so fairly before recently. he left, though. Yeah. Right. So okay. I think I probably had him for about four or five months. Okay. Yeah. And now George has taken over looking yeah. after you. Yeah, he's also fantastic. Well, I've actually, I've been treated by a few people. They've been Amy, Grant, yeah. um, and they've, they've all been great. So it doesn't really, if you've got a problem, it doesn't really matter who's, who's in. You can always pop in and get the same treatment. So then um, you kind of finish off that story of you, you kind of obviously health interrupted your kind of career path mm. maybe uh, or definitely and then you found a way through that and exercise I know has been a really big part of your life anyway yeah. so but that's were you massively into exercise before anyway or yes yeah, so I've always done a lot of sports so I, did, yeah. well, I rode and played rugby at school all the way through um, until I was 18 and then obviously working in restaurants sort of sport took a sort of I went away from it a bit because I think I did so much of it when I was younger yeah. and then working from so eight in the morning till midnight, it's you sort of time gets taken up with other things. Yeah. Um, and then after after my back went, I ended up going to work for Apple. Okay. So I did seven years at Apple at Regent Street. Oh, really? Yeah, as a genius doing technical sport there. Wow. So slight change of career. Um, and loved it. So really. then, was it when you were there, you were able to study part time, sort of a thing? Or? No. So then I left there. Um, and set up my own business doing the same sort of thing but for private clients um, and then I didn't I hadn't even thought about going back to studying and then a friend of my wife's um, mentioned doing an access course and I'd never heard of access courses before and so 
as soon as I heard about them onto onto the internet and found out about them. And it's basically so mature learners can go back and study. You do two days a week at college, so you can still work around it. Yeah. And then you sort of do a lot of lot of learning in your own time. And it gives you it's a specific so I did an access course to nursing. Okay. And it's specific to to the role you want to go to university. And ended up going getting sort of grades from the end of that to get into King's College. Amazing, because uh, I do know of the access course for chiropractic. There's quite a few of the mature ages who start mm. studying chiropractic. And yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's is it six months or is it 12 months? It's 12 months. Yeah, okay. Um, so then, yeah, you sort of paused was, the rest of that stuff and yeah. went full on into Full on into, into, student, into a student. And then I think it started September 2016. And that is a four-year degree? Three-year degree. Three but year. It's, it's pretty full on because we, obviously, you've got to condense because we spent half the year on placement. So you've got to condense a year's worth of teaching down to the other half of the year that you are in uni yeah. versus doing three placements, three sort of six to eight to 10 week placements a year in, in a hospital. And you have to go through everything from anatomy, physiology, all that sort of yeah, stuff, right? And everything then, um, from the principles of nursing to... And then the pathology the, thing would be a fairly big thing too, I guess, yeah. like, you know, um, understanding some of the stuff you're dealing with, right, yeah. um, and helping. So, hey, um, what's the, out of interest, is there, what's the split of uh, male-female in a nursing course these days? So, I think on our course we had, I think we started with 400, 400 or something cohort, yeah. and I think about 15, 20 were probably men. Really? I think, I think it was around about 20, 20 were men. So, the stereotype lives on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's not, sure not a huge amount of men are, are going into nursing. It's a shame. Well, absolutely, because, uh, you know, that's in this day and age of equality, it's sort of unusual that nursing hasn't yeah. even caught up on that, you know. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic job. Chiropractic's like 50-50, you know. Um, I, I don't know what medicine is, but, um, you know. Um, anyway, that's, Medicine, I think, is about the same. We've got a sort of fairly even split doctors on in a hospital. So, okay, let's get into that thing where then you you graduated. And so, yeah, graduated. As you were October. graduating, you probably had no idea, like none of us did, of a global pandemic around the corner. No. Right? So, gradu- graduated in October, and then. I've and were you always to heading wait. towards cardiac respiratory, or uh, like, is it a specialism, or you just go where? No. Go so I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily looking for a speciality. I was looking for a unit. So I wanted to work in high dependency, sort of something a bit more sort of high level than a normal ward. Yeah. Um, I knew I didn't want to do ward nursing. Yeah. I wanted to work in a, in a high dependency unit or in theatre yeah. or sort of recovery area. And this is where people are quite ill, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we've got patients that come out sort of open heart surgery. Yeah. Um, they come via recovery or intensive care and then they come to us mm. and then we look after them and take like look after them with all their drains in, all the different lines, the keeping the blood pressure, heart rate and everything else going and stable. Mm. And then we sort of get them better enough to go to the ward, to discharge them down to the ward and then home from there. So it's pretty, pretty full on. So... Uh, I did see some of these uh, mad old PPE photos that you were taking. Yeah. Um, and obviously you entered that ward, did you say January, February? It started January 6th. And I think, and I think lockdown happened about the 15th of March around there. Yeah. So what was that? Like, is your, was your hospital or ward seeing COVID patients? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we're, because we're an elective hospital, so we stopped surgery. Okay. And then, which meant that we could empty the hospital. Yeah. So, because we didn't have anything, we don't have an A&E or anything, so we had no patients coming in. So yeah. we emptied the entire hospital in preparation for this. Because we're a specialist respiratory cardiac hospital, we've got specialist equipment that I think only five hospitals have, mm-hmm. um, ECMO machines, which will take all the blood out of your body, oxygenate it, and then put it all back in again to protect your lungs. So... This, which is prime for, for a COVID patient, for a very sick COVID patient. So we were taking patients from all over the country. Right. But it starts, so intensive, so intensive care, adult intensive care, had those patients coming in and they filled up pretty quickly. Mm. So then we were, our HDU 
high dependency unit got transformed pretty much overnight into an intensive care of equipment that we'd never used before, mm. never seen before. Well, we'd seen it, but we'd never used it. Drugs that we hadn't used before. Um, and we started, to, so we had, I think we had a week of furious training and being sort of everyone being pushed through training to just so we got f slightly familiar with all the, all the equipment. Mm. Um, and then we, I think a week later, we started seeing our first patients, the ventilator patients. So these and were the guys we, that were on ventilators somewhere else. Uh, maybe there was no yeah. capacity for them. And they were transferred to us. Transferred to you as the overflow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so you obviously must have seen some pretty severe cases of lung poor function. Yeah, and, we, and we took some of the COVID. sickest patients in the country. So give us some insight to that because, you know, as someone, uh, and I admit, um, I'm, a, I'm slowly... Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether I'm born sceptical or whether I sort of, you know, um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of around when the government's making this fairly sort of sw sweeping change to everyone's mm. life. And then to those people that aren't physically seeing people with COVID, it's it's easy just to kind of be flippant about mm. it and, and not, and, you know, think, ah, it's, it's someone else's problem, not my problem, you know. So... Give us a little bit of insight. Yeah, I mean, we personally, seeing, I'd love we to. We were hear seeing this, some so. very, very, very ill people, yeah. um, and people were dying in the hospital, right? Yeah, quite regularly. That we had, we had a lot of fatalities, um, and it was tough. It was very tough. You got these patients, and some of them worked in healthcare. Um, we were seeing patients being transferred from other hospitals that were staffing other hospitals. Yeah, right. Um, I remember one patient we had in who's who got transferred to us on a ventilator and we found out that his mother was in another hospital ventilated as well, um, which he didn't know because um, she got it as well. So it, it does affect, it affected a lot of people. So you also went from being a nurse wearing your scrubs yeah. to then all of a sudden, one week later, you're actually in the hazmat suit basically. Well, not a hazmat. Yeah, suit, so like, like full. Um, we had the the head, the hair caps on, visors, masks, uh, double aprons, double gloves, um, the waterproof sort of surgical surgical gowns, full gowns that covers the backs and fronts, the way down to your feet. Um, obviously, Crocs that easy or surgical shoes that easy to clean. Mm. Um, but the masks they were horrifically uncomfortable. And you were doing full FFP3 ones. Right. And 12 hour shifts. Yeah. And not really taking them off. No, it's, we probably, because obviously the, with the shortage of PPE, we were in our hospital, we were very lucky. We had a, a sort of pretty steady supply. We never ran out totally of masks and gowns. We had a sort of slight varieties of, of each bit of, bit of equipment, but we never ran out. So we had very good procurement from that point of view, but there was still a shortage. So it was a case of you go in and you go out for your break, you come back in and then that would be it for another four, four odd hours. And that would be your day. Um, so you, you sort of have to prehydrate yourself yeah. and then first break you'd pee and then you'd pretty much not drink anything for the rest of the day. And the heat that was in, in the ward as well, with all the ventilators going, the windows shut, we had no air conditioning um, at the beginning. We did towards the end, we got portable units brought in. Um, but we were, we were saturating our scrubs like three or four times a day with sweat. But we weren't putting anything in because we couldn't go out and pee. So it was, it was tough and you come out from the end of the day, you were, you were doing a job that you weren't necessarily prepared for you were seeing things that you weren't ready for or weren't prepared for. You had masks that were giving you the most phenomenal headaches because they were so tight around your face and then the straps at the back of your head and you were dehydrated. Wow. So, and that was the end. That was day in, day out. And you're surrounded by a 
quite virulent, well, like this virus, which is yeah. taken over the world. That no, that no one knew about. Yeah. No one knew pretty much anything about. And yeah, you've got all this stuff going on, but, you know, your immune system would not be firing at its best mm. in that sort of situation anyway, right? Yeah. Tiredness, fatigue, dehydration, um, stress. Um, well, which is where looking after yourself becomes even more important mentally and physically. Well, again, um, Thursday night clapping. <laughs> Thank you. Which, which, which ironically, none of us saw <laughs> yes. because because the the eight o'clock eight o'clock clapping our shifts finish at uh, start at seven forty five and finish at eight fifteen. So eight uh, o'clock is mid handover point of both shifts. Could so, so have been a worse time. Uh, yeah, pretty if much. If it had been seven o'clock, then or maybe you'd say nine o'clock would have been more appropriate. You finish your shift, you're walking home, and then yeah. you just get a round of applause yeah. riding your bike through the streets. Right? Or seven o'clock on the way to work, and then the children can join in. Yeah, slight oversight for that yeah, one. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think I saw one. I had one Thursday off. I think I saw one in ten weeks. Okay, but yeah, but yeah. So I guess that does lead it through. I mean, there's a couple of different ways we could go from there. Um, you, you obviously you you you're a few months into this whole sort of situation so as march was locked down you worked for a few months uh at in you know dealing with all this intensive care nurse yeah intensive care nurse you weren't really prepared for that you yeah. know talk about crazy first year but then your own health went on another crazy journey not long after that right yeah. so, so tell the story what happened in june so middle of june I was feeling fine. I was fitter than I've probably ever been. Um, a lot of running and a lot of cycling um, going on. And, and just as a balance to your kind of madness at the hospital, you're like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd run to work just to just yeah. to clear my head. And then on my days off, I'd do nice long runs or long cycles. Um, and Monday, I think it's the 15th of June, Monday, I, I'd run a half marathon the day before just for just for sort of fun, it was a nice, it was a nice sunny day. Yep. Ran down the river, along th- back through Richmond Park and home, and felt fine. Got up in the morning on Monday, ran to work as normal, felt fine. By we had we had no patients in the hospital at this point. We were completely completely clear. Right. Um, yeah, that was the other thing. Um, all the patients, but we went. So we turned into a red zone, so a, a COVID zone, mm. in a matter of days. Like it just sort of happened overnight, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, I had three days off, left the hospital, had my three days off, came back in, no patients. Oh, wow. And, and they'd, all, they'd all been sort of got well enough to be transferred to the ward. Yeah. So COVID for us, it was a bit of a whirlwind because it arrived in a matter of days and it left us in a matter of days. So and then it was like- more sort of the rehab and therapies teams took over from that and we were empty and that was may no well april and may were those two months where yeah. i was mad right uh, and then after well, sort of, that, yeah march so end of march yeah end of march april beginning of may yeah and sort of mid-may we our unit was empty it probably follows that graph that we've all become to know now though isn't yeah. it? you know where the cases went high and, it went, and then they went down um and that's when things eased a bit and but that's representative of what actually happened in your yeah. hospital too and probably representative of the fact that they never really used nightingale hospital either no i think i think uh, i heard they took 52 patients or around around 50 patients in the entire hmm. in the entire situation and they probably underestimated the number of hospital beds that could be freed up from these elective type mm. situations like you described. So, um, well, yeah. I think they were just planning, planning ahead for the potential for it to be overwhelmed. And yeah. I think, I don't know how close we got to being overwhelmed, but we, in our hospital, we were, we were well staffed. We had amazing doctors and I think our team was fantastic. Just the way they adapted from, from being a high dependency nurse to an intensive care nurse, like virtually overnight. Has there been much um, pulling apart of the performance of the teams and, and how well you guys did as a unit in terms yeah. of like saving lives? Or? Yeah, there has, there has been a lot of sort of, from a sort of, from our point of view, I think people looked at how well, and the other departments said it as well, how well we adapted to sort of pretty much any situation that's thrown us because it was, because no one really knew about it. It was an ever-changing situation. Mm. We'd get different protocols put in place weekly, daily. Things were changing overnight. You'd come into work and something had changed. Yeah. And you sort of just, you've just got to adapt and, and go with it. Mm. So um, 
I guess you can't particularly, but you know, it sounds like the two main tools or two tools you did use was the ventilator or the, you know, the, you know, helping people breathe. Yeah. But then also, did a fair few of them had that blood cleaning thing going on as well? ECMO, um, yeah, we had. Um, what's it called again? ECMO. ECMO, where they literally take take the, the blood out of your out of your body, oxygenate it like your lungs would do through a machine, and put it all back in again. Uh, um, does that come in handy after a big night out? <laughs> Is, is that is that a uh, hangover cure? Right? I, think, I think you might need the, like the vitamin the vitamin infusions for that. Or is there any performance enhancing cycling uh, aspects I can uh, glean from this? Or no, don't think so. Oh, what? I know, got it. Um, yeah, and obviously there was, as you say, different drugs and different things were sort of. Uh, but you know that that was a sort of the anaesthetic for... drugs because we obviously needed to keep the patients asleep and paralysed oh, right. to be able to sort of help recover them recover their lungs and do do everything for them wow yeah and the other thing that they found useful um of sort of very good tool was to prone people so a lot of treatments obviously done on your back Mm. but they found that if you put patients on their fronts Mm -hmm. when they were ventilated it would help sort of engage more of their lungs wow yeah by taking sort of the weight off and you ventilate the back of the lungs. So you, every 12 hours, you'd turn the patients. The, the, this is the, for the sickest patients. We would, yeah, we would yeah. turn them yeah. for 12 hours and then turn And there wasn't a up. special bed for that. You just physically turned them low lying kind of yeah. on their front. And so dur- during the training, I actually was the one that got proned. And it's quite a sort of surreal experience because they, they put a sh- pillows on your, all the way down your front put a sheet over the top of you and then roll you, roll down the sides of the sheet that's under you and the one over the top of you to make it really tight. So you're completely wrapped up, arms down by your side. And they one side lifts up, the other side pushes. So then you're halfway. You're halfway. <laughs> and then the one side reaches under, the other so they swap sides and then they literally just flip you flip you over. So you're then face down. Okay. Now we digressed a bit because we it, did. Is, it is interesting trying to get so inside my, into the my little part. trip to um, Chelsea and Westminster. Yeah. So then, was it Monday morning? You went. Yeah. For a so run, I, I um, ran ran to work as normal. Felt felt fine. Nothing nothing untoward. And doing some e learning and some training in the in the office. And lent on my elbow about nine o'clock. And I was like, oh, that's a bit, bit sore. So on the point of my left elbow. And by midday the whole sort of whole point of my elbow had swollen up, become red and inflamed and was becoming incredibly painful. Spoke to one of the practice educators and she was like, just pop down to Chelsea, go and get have a looked at. Pop down to Chelsea, got some IV antibiotics, some oral ones to take home and took a dose before bed, Went woke up at midnight in excruciating pain and sort of that part of my elbow, so about eight inches from... Well, about four inches either side of my the point of my elbow had completely swollen up and was become infected. Um, went back to, and the pain was unbelievable because the pre- the pressure the, it felt like my skin was going to tear. Um, and went back to Chelsea and Westminster at about half three in the morning. Got admitted under the surgical teams and yeah, spent I think nine days in in Chelsea having aspirated IV antibiotics four times a day. Um, and they couldn't work out why it wasn't healing with the antibiotics. It was the right antibiotics. We'd done cultures. And on the Sunday, I popped over to Tesco's because I just wanted to get some food and felt really lightheaded, a bit faint, thought my blood sugars had gone really low and went back to the ward, got one of the HCOs to take my blood sugars and it came back unreadably high. And I knew that the, because they use the same machines that we do, and I knew that the lim- upper limit on that was 25 millimoles your blood sugars when they should be around five and so then had a team of doctors come in and have a look at me and they did some blood gases and it came back as my blood sugars were at 35 and because they were saying because I was so fit that my body was compensating for the sugars being really high that I didn't get sort of diabetic ketoacidosis and my body was sort of shutting down Mm. and but that's why I ended up with a septic joint that wasn't healing because my sh- sugars were so high. Oh, right. And they then did a whole load of blood tests and they found out I had type 1 diabetes. Oh, yeah. So, aged 40. 
Yeah, so that's pretty, that's pretty late, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah you normally you get it sort of juvenile or, or yeah. born with. Yeah. So, yeah, so you actually did, it came as a, it was an actual elbow infection. Yeah, it was um, a septic joint. But which just one of those things that randomly happens sometimes, right? Yeah, and, and um, I, th I think because I was so fit, they didn't think that, oh, we better look at sugars. Because yeah. normally at 40, you'd, you'd be looking at, you'd be fit and healthy, your sugars would be stable. Yeah. And everyone was going towards, oh, you've been bitten by something. Yeah, yeah. Or like a spider or an, or an insect whilst I was out running or anything. So no one, no one sort of thought about sugars, and that's what caused and it. And again, this is just one of those things we don't really know why it happens, or certainly why it happens when you're sort of forty and that sort of thing. No, it's yeah. sort of the. I'm a bit more susceptible to it because I've also got Addison's, okay, which is sort of my my pancreas isn't producing cortisol properly, okay. so it's stress hormone. Right. And obviously with COVID, I think this had an effect on it. With COVID, with stress, just being under of insurmountable amounts of pressure all the time I, they think that that on top of the fact I take hydrocortisone so steroids three times a day that could have exacerbated the problem and well, because those, obviously those steroids are for the um, Addison's are for the Addison's yeah so not linked to the spinal stuff no um, yeah. no, no it's not okay. linked to that um, so obviously the cortisol and insulin all produced by the pancreas so I think it could be it was caused by stress so you can get a thing called LADA, which is latent onset or, or latent autoimmune onset of diabetes. Okay. Um, so I think it's that rather than... Because we would, obviously we mentioned it, that it uh, sounds like a very stressful situation being mm. in that sort of COVID ward for in the whole thing and so in all the PPE. So it obviously did tip yeah. you your body over the edge there yeah. to a degree as well. So you've literally put your body on the line for others and yeah. paid the price a bit. Yeah. Well. Yeah, and and also the sort of the mental side of it as well. There's a lot. I was speaking to one of the nurses yesterday. He brought, he brought a patient up to me from from recovery, and he still can't sleep. He still doesn't sleep properly. I I struggle to sleep. I think about two months ago was the first time I'd slept properly before before going to work. I'd normally wake up in the morning about one in the morning filled with sort of adrenaline because I think my body was just thinking it was going back to that, even though hospital was, was back to normal, everything. And then, funny enough, now it's all kicking off again and people are talking about second wave. I haven't been sleeping. I haven't slept properly all week. Wow. So I think there's, there's definitely some psychological... Yeah, leftovers from from the first wave but your hospital is now back to doing what it always used to do like yeah so we're back to full, full surgery yeah. full full cardiac surgery yeah. and respiratory so look through all this stuff um, which is why you're here really in the first place is that uh, admittedly you obviously became a chiropractic patient um, to try and get some help for some of the spinal stuff associated with uh, AS and rheumatoid with, arthritis yeah right? and so I needed to sort of come and look for a chiropractor or sort of some way of treating my back because I went back to rowing and it was all going fine and then I twinged my back and it got to the point where I was doing all my mobility or my stretching and it got to the point where I couldn't sit on a rowing machine or I couldn't sit in a boat for more than about two three minutes yeah. without my back being sort of unbelievably painful and sort of like sensation down my legs and and I was like okay I've got, I've got to start looking at this and looking at why and how I can to then manage it going forwards. And I live around the corner. And I, I, I come past here all the time. And yeah. I was like, no, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I, the one day I, I actually went past and I was like, no, I'm actually going to go in. And came in and had a chat and everyone was like, everyone was brilliant. Everyone was so friendly. It is funny like that where Putney has the little wooden door there and you're yeah. kind of thinking, what is that little place, you know? And then uh, it really opens up once you get inside. But It's like a TARDIS in here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then it's like, who knew we had an like, x-ray machine and all that sort of stuff, oh, yeah. right? Um, but, you know, then that obviously gave you another set of eyes to look at what was going on mm. and sort of say, okay, well, this is what the damage has been done to your lower spine, for example. Yeah. Um, assuming, I haven't seen your x-rays, but the... Um, uh, oh, I mean, everything was out of line. My hips were out of line. My yeah. shoulders were out of alignment. My back was in, like, going left, right, and up and down. So then you obviously went through a bit of an initial clear out of mm. whatever you could um, strategy. But then, like, two years on from, well, how many years on from that now? It's probably about 18 months, two years, I reckon. Um, you're still in here fairly regularly, is yeah. that right? Um, but then you're obviously... 
still stressing your body out at work mm. and still probably let's get into the fitness side of things as well like and it, but but before you get into telling us what you do with fitness what tell us the what what benefit do you feel what, what's the main reason why you are on the table regularly 18 months two years in so on top of my lower spine i also had a bike accident in 2012 i got hit by four by four and i damaged my C5, 6, 6, 7, first spur in my neck. So I get quite a lot of neck problems. And with rowing, cycling, running, stress at work, and I tend to, and both George and Luke have said this, I tend to keep quite a lot of stress on my shoulders and my upper back, okay. which then obviously causes me neck problems and I, sort of, I struggle to sort of move my neck properly. So the, funny enough, the most benefit I get is for, a lot from my upper spine, but also then keeping my lower spine clear so I can row, cycle, run, and do the exercise I want to do. Mm. So it's more to get my nervous system cleared out, get my nervous system moving, get my body, making sure my body's loose to allow me to do my stretches, to do some yoga, to run to work, cycle to work, and, and yeah, keep my body sort of healthy, or as healthy as it can be. And do you do it whereby you feel things kind of building up to the point where it's about to break and you're like, got to get on the table? Or have you worked out a pretty good management plan whereby you're fairly symptom-free at the moment and you just kind of do it as as a matter of course because you know if you don't do like get on the table, there will be a problem. Or is it is it neither of them? Yeah, no. There's so when. So I, I, do, I do a bit of both. So obviously with my shift patterns, it's not, I can't always come in. Yeah. Um, and then I'd sort of, I'd leave it or I'd be busy and I'd go, oh, I've got to go in. And, and like, even if it wasn't George or Luke, I'd, I'd come in and see Amy or, or Grant. And just because I needed it, it, needed the release and needed it to be. And the, the sort of feeling afterwards, it's just this, as your body, you can feel like everything relaxing and sort of just the, the body's sort of flowing again. Um, but then I'll also try and come in once a week or every 10 days to as a maintenance because I don't want to get it to the point where I, I'm going, I can't move or I'm struggling to sleep because my neck's in the wrong place. Or So I'll definitely come in as a maintenance, but then I'll also, if I've got a lot going on, I'll, I know that it's going to cause me problems. So I'll come in maybe twice, yeah. twice a week yeah. and just stay on top of it. Yeah. Because I've learned from learned from past that if you let it get to the point where you're at the point where you can't move or you're really struggling, mm. it's it's going to take a lot more effort to get it back to where you need it to be yeah. than if you actually just manage it and sort of, sort of try and preempt things. And I think what we get a lot of feedback as well about the fact that we we kind of as a group try and make it as easy as possible for people just to kind of get their spine healthy mm. and um i think you benefit from that being a pretty busy guy or you know if you want to be running half marathons and <laughs> working 12 hour shifts um you probably don't want to be sort of spending two hours at the chiropractor you know or like traveling's there mm. getting on the table appointment you know our appointments are very short you can kind of just pop in sort of get it done um and it sort of fits into your lifestyle pretty yeah well, that's right? the other thing that's brilliant about about here is that it's all it's all quite relaxed obviously there's an appointment system but like if i'm if i'm late off the water or if i'm coming from work from a night shift or i'm on my way to work it's it's very easy just to like i'll I'll let them know that i'll be be in on saturday i'll be in on tuesday Mm. and just pop in yeah yeah, no, I mean, we, uh, as you say, we sort of run an appointment book, but running an appointment book in London is an art form yeah. <laughs> because traffic, especially at the moment. Um, so go, so what are you, what are you currently into at the moment? So you've, uh, who, who are you running for there? Cause you've, you've well, so, uh, for? just, just to sort of go back a, a little bit when you were saying about what, how, how I managed my back and sort of whether I need to come in regularly or not. Um, what I didn't say was during when lockdown first happened, you guys were shut. Yeah. I didn't see anyone for nearly three weeks and with obviously being doing 12 hour shifts in a sort of pretty intense environment, yeah. my back was screaming mm. for, for some treatment. Yeah. And then I, was, I, I messaged Katie and I was like, please, is anyone, is anyone able to look at my back? <laughs> um, and she was like, actually like, this is when he started sort of opening for sort of emergency appointments and sort of people who really needed some treatment. And she was yeah. like, yeah, George is in. So I came in and then I, I after that, I was just like, so I used that as a 
as a management tool for sort of stress and sort of keeping myself relatively healthy through through lockdown as well well because uh, obviously for me trying to organize like you know five clinics and that sort of thing and, and trying to f- work your way through the kind of government guidelines yeah, and all you that can and can't do yeah it was a nightmare it's you know? a fine um, art uh, but you know it was uh it was a situation where um we had to at the start and, and this is a really good example of like you literally were if you hadn't have been at the Cairo, you were probably at risk of actually taking it a step further and going and troubling some other sort of medical type of um, scenario to try and get help, you know? Yeah, but um, I, I honestly wouldn't have known where to look because it's not an yeah. any thing. The hospitals and doctors and GPs and everything couldn't, wouldn't have been able to help. Yeah, and no, they were, well, every, everyone anyway. was shut. Yeah. And so also, you know, the, the, the government didn't mandate us to close, but at the same time, uh, it was pretty hard to do things from within two metres as well, mm. you know. Um, so I'm glad that we sort of worked our way through and, and sort of developed a strategy where it's kind of one person in, one person out, dock only in the building and all that sort of stuff. And, and that's what we're trying to sort of work out for whatever is going to be maybe near lockdown 2.0, what's that going to look like? And I hope we can just sort of carry on caring for the people mm. Um in that scenario, now we have a much better understanding of of what we should be doing in terms of um, you know playing our role in in providing that that care that's needed and not risking sort of extra transmission of stuff too. So that's what we're trying to work out at the moment. Man. But yeah, that's a it's a good bit of insight there as well. What um, no, but tell us what because you're obviously you're rowing down in the embankment here in Putney. Yeah, you live around the corner. Yeah. What's the, how far did you take rowing? Like, because uh, you're, you're quite into it, right? Um, yeah, so I rowed a lot when I was at school. So I, I started rowing um, when I was 13 at school and then stopped when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Did you and grow up around here as well? Or? Yeah, I grew up in Putney. I grew up okay. sort of further up, top in Putney. Um, and so what school was that? Were you so I was, a, well, I was at Radley, so I was down in Oxford. So we rowed down, rowed down okay. there. Yeah. Um, did, all the, did all the big regattas and heads and everything like that. And yeah. then when I left school, stopped rowing. But then my eldest, who my stepson, um, who rose at Shiplake, so he started rowing. And I was watching him on the towpath years ago. And I started to get sort of like a bit twitchy, itchy feet, going, okay, wonderful. Because I was always, I was always told because of my back, yeah. I sh- I could never row again. Yeah. And I, and it's sort of I started questioning a lot of things as I got older, going, but why? Mm. Um, I'm in sort of the best shape of my life. I'm taking care of my back. Why can't I? And so then I made sure I was fit enough and got in touch with the Uniboat Club after sort of getting itchy feet watching watching Josh row and started rowing at uni again and loved it. So that was through your nursing degree? Yeah, so that was, that was through, for through my degree. Um, yeah. And then that got you back into the boat. And so have Kings got a place down here? Or? So they boat out of Tideway Scholars up oh, okay. by Chiswick Bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then since you graduated, though, you've stopped rowing for them, but then you've carried it on down here at Vesta. Yeah, so I was, I was rowing at Thames okay. last year. Yep. And on top of COVID, my season, I don't think could have got any worse. I damaged my shoulder, had to have surgery in October, thinking, oh, I'm only going to be out for the head season. I'll sort of come back for a regatta season or sort of towards the end of the head season. Mm. Um, and then COVID happened, lockdown happened, and all boat houses shut. So that was the end of sort of last season. And that was probably going to be sort of obviously being a bit older, trying to keep up with sort of yeah. people in their early mid-20s who were... Yeah. They, they, they build them big nowadays it's like <laughs> when, when I was younger sort of being, being 6'1 and sort of 14 stone was quite big for a row now it's like they're 6'6 six, six and yeah like and, you see, you see yeah. the the, the six formers down here yeah. right? and they're, they're, they're enormous so trying to keep up with them this was going to be my sort of last last sort of hurrah in a sort of doing a full full sort of high level training program yeah also because I before I started work so trying to do shift patterns and night shifts and yeah, like and fit in ten to twelve sessions a week is yeah. not impossible. As a crew too, like yeah. if, if you don't turn up as the eighth man, then you, yeah. you know yeah. exactly. So, but Vesta's a bit more flexible, right? So Vesta, I'm I'm I haven't actually been on a boat yet okay. since October, but I am coaching novices at Vesta. Oh, right. So I've got to sort of going more away from rowing myself yeah. into coaching. 
Nice. And yeah. is Katie one of your pupils? Katie is one of my, my, <laughs> my pupils. So, I'm, so because of my shift patterns, I can't commit to coaching the women or the men. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'll just go, I'll sort of look at the availability and when I can go down, what yeah. my shifts allow, and either coach the women or the men. But I'm spending more time coaching the women at the moment. And yeah, Katie is one of, one of the novice women. And uh, Megan, and is, Megan is, is now even, coxing uh, us uh, yeah. as well. So these are our slowly recruiting Cairo Cairo Putney into uh, the admin guys of the uh, of Putney. Yeah, of, uh, it's been really good for Katie, I think, too. Just um, getting no, she's her getting, she's active. doing really well. <clears throat> so um, what? So the running thing is always so. Maybe even before you got back into rowing, you were sort of doing a lot of running. And have you got any? No, f- no. Or, funny enough, no? running. I I never really ran again because mm. I was told impact back, sport on my back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I started running into, I, I, it was when I couldn't really row because my shoulder yeah. and I was getting a bit sick of doing rehab or prehab on the bike. Yeah. And no, it was, it was after my surgery and it was taking so long to heal. And I was, I was just bored of being on a static bike all the time. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to say, I think it was February time last, um, yeah, February time this year. Um, I just thought, oh, I'm just going to see if I can run. And it started off with a couple of K down the towpath, three or four K. Then it was to five K to Hammersmith Bridge and back. And so built it up from there and then started running into work just to keep fit. And then, then it's sort of the distance started to grow. Yeah, so what's the furthest you've ever run then? So the first, yeah. furthest I've done was, so I was building up. So I was hoping to sort of start hitting marathon distance and, and further before I ended up in hospital with diabetes. So the furthest I'd run then was sort of 21.1K, which is what, half marathon. Um, And then diabetes hit. Diabetes hit, and then I spent nine days in mobile in a hospital bed because I had to keep my elbow above my heart to try and drain the fluid out of it. So I was in a Bradford sling with like my arm above my head for... 10 days in the nine, nine, 10 days in the hospital. And then same when I was at home, I had to sleep with it up when I was at home. Um, and I was pretty mobile. I couldn't really do much for another five weeks after leaving hospital. So then my back was not great. And then I've, up until basically now. So as I said to you earlier, my first pain-free run was two days ago. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd sort of put my, put, get everything ready, prepare yourself to go out for a run. And I'd get, half a K down the road and have to turn around, have to walk home because yeah. the pain on my back was too much. So, so a, a lot of, a lot of Cairo, a lot of stretching, a lot of mobility, a lot of core. But this is a, like, it's almost like one of the best things I enjoy about being a chiropractor is helping people do the sort of stuff that they don't think they would normally be able mm. to do. There's a ton of people out there who are kind of like just putting up with things thinking, well, there is no hope. Um, That's what I used to be like. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, until I started questioning it, yeah. because I was told, no, you, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you can't do this because mm. of. Yeah, that. And as I got older, I was like, but why can't I? Yeah. And you guys have sort of helped helped me through that. But as as you said, it's like Cairo stretching, maybe a bit of core strength work, yeah. cardio work on the bike, and all that sort of then allows you to get back mm. there. So yeah, and I, I I don't think I don't think you can look at sort of I think Cairo is a sort of part of a puzzle. Yeah. You can't look, you can't go, I'm only doing this. It's got to be part of sort of a bigger, a bigger plan. You've got to still do your stretching. You've got to do mobility. You've got to do other bits to sort of, so all, all joins together and works, works sort of coherently together. Uh, well, great to hear. And I guess the marathon is on the cards before the middle of next year or something. Then. Well, that, what thing I've really struggled with is, is, I've, I've sort of lost my mojo for, for running a bit and also yeah. because I was sort of after the diabetes and then being being a pain and I was chatting for my wife about it and it's because there's no there's, there's no races there's no you can't, you can't enter anything there's yeah, no yeah. target yeah. and it's very hard to constantly keep putting in miles mm. but for no goal yeah. so I, I think she's, she's always joked as soon as I started swimming and running she was going, there's going to be a triathlon coming out somewhere. And then it, then it was, she it. goes, oh, then I'll be an Ironman. And <laughs> yeah. She goes, you need something to challenge yourself. Uh, all right, mate, that's been a really good insight. Thank you for taking the time to share. It's my pleasure. 
Thank the you for having me. Thank you for having me. What a story, though. You know, you've kind of gone for all sorts of things. And, and like I was suspecting, the idea of you being a brand new nursing graduate gone straight into COVID scenario, uh, PPE, the whole thing, and then you know, getting through those sort of couple of months of high stress to then you know, find out you've got type 1 diabetes and sort of interrupted the whole exercise program, but you know, maybe one little bit of, you know, the, the, the similarity of the stories, you, I guess, thankfully, you're still able to get some chiro help through that mm. whole thing as you were kind of going ups and downs of, of all sorts of things. And that's kept your physical presence at least uh, ticking over, you know. Um, give us So let's wrap it up with like, um, give us one piece of health advice that you've been given by someone, either... Or maybe even something that you commonly share with any patients you've dealt with um, or someone's given to you that you think is is applicable for, for anyone with, uh, you know, health challenges. Question. If, you've, if you're told something and you don't agree with it, question it. And it's, that's what I've done over the years, especially after being told I can't, can't run, I can't row, I can't do this, that and the other because of my back. Mm. you've got to question it and to be your own advocate for your health mm. don't don't accept things go and go and find ways that you can achieve what you want to do like i've got arthritis diabetes addison's it's like i don't want it to define my life i want to go out and live my life and i will always have these things but i don't want it to define me yeah so question it go and be your own advocate and go and try and achieve what, everything you want to achieve. That is a great way to finish this off. Thank you very much. Because you're right, so many people do. It can be a very small label that they get applied to their health on mm. themselves. And then that's the thing that sort of defines them. Oh, I can't because of this, you know. It needs um, to be in small letters. Yeah. Your life needs to be in big letters and, and the, the medical issues need to be in small letters underneath. Yeah, that's the fine print, yeah. right? And don't no don't, don't let print. it define you <laughs> would, would be my advice. And it's taken me a lot of years to, to get to that point. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's always a journey, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, Luke, thank you very much for your time today, mate. Thank um, you. This will be obviously live on the old Cairo London podcast um, on Apple and all those other places, Spotify, on our website. Um, and no pressure, then. <laughs> yes, you're obviously now famous. Yeah, you'll be stopped in the street. Um, <laughs> for my voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.